Hello and welcome to Tell Great Stories, the podcast that looks back at some of Unbound Theatre's past projects and productions. This episode is a little different to usual. We're going to be talking about some new writing. In addition to finding out about some of the original scripts Unbound has worked on, we're also going to be discussing the writing process in general. My name is Dario Knight and I've written and co-written various projects for Unbound, including Funny Voices, Inspector Murder and the Professor Chronomia stories. Joining me are... Uh, hello, I am Gareth. Um, I do various bits of writing for um, Unbound, um, and I'm here today to talk about the New Reality Group. Hi, I'm Jo. I wrote Percy and Camille for Unbound, and that's what I'm talking about today, because that's about all I've written. <laughs> Hello, I'm Lara Pipistrell, and I co-wrote Leave for Unbound. I, I'm Matt, and I was the other co-writer for Leave Excellent. Uh, so we'll get going. There are a, a couple of questions writers always get asked, um, um, and we'll get on to the elephant in the room in a minute and ask it where it gets its ideas from. So the other one is, did you always want to be a writer or how did you get started in writing? So I'll put that one to everyone. Um, and I'll also ask what writers or pieces of writing inspire you most? So Gareth, would you like to say that one first? Yeah, so I think... Uh... I certainly always wanted to to write in some way, shape or form, um, but I'd really for a very, very long time only ever written sketches and stand-up routines. And I was very much stuck in the idea that, you know, this is what I write, this is what I can do. So it was a real leap to start trying to do things that had, you know, more consistent characters or a narrative story. Um, and that that was a real challenge for me. Um, and in terms of what writers inspire me, it's kind of a weird one because I would say I'm, I'm not really inspired by any specific writer as such. It's very much more ideas that I find fascinating or sort of concepts or general styles of writing. I mean, we've come across some great writers in the stuff we've done with um, Unbound, but I would say taking an aspect of what they do and thinking that's fascinating, I'd love to try that, like... Um, Carol Churchill is a great example of someone who just does amazing stuff with naturalistic dialogue. And I think, well, I'd love to try that specific thing, but the rest of it is kind of, no, I'm not particularly inspired by the writer as such, just that element of what they do. And I sort of magpie pick various bits of you know, stuff that I like from various writers and try, writers and try and smush them together. Cool. Uh, Joe, how about you? So um, I think I have always wanted to be uh, a writer and or an actor. And um, I do sort of write for a living um, in my day job. I do a lot of writing uh, articles and press releases and stuff like that. Um, and I, I seem to gravitate towards magical realism as a genre. I've always just really loved that kind of stuff. I remember really loving The Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov, which I read at university. And I think unconsciously that that was influenced, that did influence Percy and Camille because they do both have a talking cat in. Um, although it was a long time in between reading that and, and writing Percy and Camille. Um, but I also, you know, I've liked writers like Gabriel Garcia Marquez and Salman Rushdie, who, again, magical realism. So I think that's just what I sort of tend to, it just just what I like. And that's when I when I write stuff, that's that's kind of how it comes out. Excellent. Uh, Lara, what about you? Um, I think for me, writing was kind of an extension of my love of reading. Um, I didn't really think of being a writer like it was a profession or that it was something that I wanted to do professionally, although I also now write professionally articles and things in my work. But um, yeah, I just wrote for myself. Um, it was other people that kind of convinced me to, to share it. And I probably started writing from a very, very young age. I devoured books at the local library. So, you know, while other kids might draw stick figures to go on the fridge, I would write stories to go on the fridge um and i i have quite a vivid memory of my granddad always saving the radio times for me so that i could illustrate my stories because i can't draw 
So so I would cut pictures out of the Radio Times as my my kind of storybook um, illustrations. Um, yeah, there's there's also not really any one personal piece of writing that inspires me. Um, anyone who builds a world inspires me. So TVs, films, novels, any kind of writing. Um, I at the moment I quite like um, the Reddit group are no sleep. Um, it's an interesting kind of one-shot story series that's grounded in the idea that everyone is, is almost kind of writing for advice about something weird and mysterious that's happening to them. It's entirely fictional, but everyone's bought into this idea that, that it's actually happening, um, which I find interesting as a kind of world building on a, on a larger scale kind of thing. Yeah. Cool. That's me. Yeah. And Matt? Well, I mean... <clears throat> In terms of, you know, I've, I think I've, I've always been, I've always been able to write. You know, there's, there's numerous times where I've you know, handed in essays at, at school and been told, come and see me. What is this story about a, po uh, about a, a post-apocalyptic landscape and are you okay? Um, but so, yeah, being able to put words in the right order is, is, is something, it's a, it's an extension of, of, I say reading and 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 skills, but it's only when I've actually had a project that I actually sit up and go right. It's actually time to do it now. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm very much. I need. To, I, I tend to tend to need a kick to kick before I start start something, and then I can actually get get going to it. And in terms of what inspires me, I'm a big fan of you know golden age of sci-fi, Ray Bradbury. Sort of little slices of life, you know, people in ordinary situations that are just a bit weird, um, you know, and and again the magical realism, you know, yes, Neil Gaiman's a big a big inspiration, but in term, I I wouldn't say that that actually affects how I write. It's just a good, you know, there are people I, I respect and people whose work I enjoy. But I would never actually try and write like some someone. And how about you, Dario? What's your inspiration, and where did you start? I, I will preface this answer by apologising if anyone can hear a guitar being played in the background. My neighbour uh, is under the impression he's Eric Clapton and uh, <laughs> has, has been practising. Um, so I, I was a bit like Laura. I used to write not because I thought it was a a job or a way of making a living or anything. I just used to write stories when I was a kid, um, but I never really thought there was a prospect of doing anything with it uh, or that the stuff that I wrote was, was worth anything really other than just amusing myself. Um, so it wasn't really till uni that I started, I started studying writing properly and I spent time with other writers and I thought, oh, maybe there is something in this. Um, and then I've got Queen's Park to thank for giving me the chance to actually be a working writer because um it's hard to find an opportunity to get a foot in the door in terms of writing, particularly with scripts um, and having your writing produced. Um, and somewhere like Queen's Park is there to allow you to go and figure it out and learn how it really works. Because um, it's one thing to write, it's another thing to put it into into action. Um, and in terms of writers who inspired me, uh, I mean, Douglas Adams was a, a big deal for me when I was about 11 or 12, I think I read Hitchhiker for the first time. And that was a bit of a revelation in terms of realising you could be that funny and that clever and that endearing all at the same time. Um, and then later writers like, um, I found people like Victoria Wood, who's who's a proper genius, um, and Terry Pratchett, again, sort of a bit of fantasy in there. Um, and Agatha Christie, because I have a, an obsession with whodunits, hence things like Inspector Murder. Well, that's <laughs> it's all quite a range there. I suppose the, it's another thing that writers are always asked is where do you get your ideas and inspiration from? So let's talk about that a little bit, uh, starting with Joe. I mean, tell us about Percy and Camille. What's the, the sort of storyline of the play and what inspired you to write it? OK, so Percy and Camille is it's a kind of a bit of a weird story, really. It's it's about a middle-aged, middle-class woman called Ingrid who lives alone with her cat, who is called Percy, um, who she loves really quite intensely. 
Uh, but she decides to open her home up to take in a refugee who is Camille, um, who, who needs somewhere to live because Ingrid has a sense of herself as like a good person and she wants to help someone in need. But she also has a very strong idea in her head about what that experience will be like. Um, it's sort of a subconscious um, perception, but it's, it's very strongly there. And she expects that the refugee will become her friend and will be hugely grateful to her for helping, for helping her. Um, and then she'll get to feel sort of great about herself. But that's not what happens. Camille refuses to conform to those expectations. And um, she herself has been through really horrific experiences. She doesn't feel the need to be friendly or grateful. So it all becomes quite dark. Ingrid gets paranoid and is persuaded by her cat, Percy, to kill Camille, um, which is not really necessarily how uh, you might expect it to turn out when you, the, well, the way it seems to be heading um, when you're watching it. But um, there's sort of a few themes in, that the play ex explores, um, things like uh, white privilege and the, and the balance of power of that kind of relationship and the damage that can be sort of blindly done when someone has privilege and abuses it, but doesn't realise that's what they're doing. Um, and it's also about the plight of refugees and how vulnerable they are to abuse and, um, and how they're sort of often seen as less than sort of normal, inverted commas, people and, and how they're somehow disposable. And the character of Ingrid has a lot of me in her. And I often think about refugees and how to help them. Um, and I think that's kind of where this story came from. So my own grandmother came to the UK in um, 1939 um, as a Jewish refugee from Nazi Germany. And, and that's why I think I've always think about this a lot. Um, but at the same time, um, this was a kind of a warped take on that, that whole idea and that, that, that sort of thought process. And it's sort of an expression of my own anxiety about it, my own guilt about my own white privilege. Uh, but taking that into a, like a worst case scenario, what's the worst thing that could happen and sort of playing that out in a play. Um, but also the, the, the Percy of the play was 100% based on my own cat, Percy, who died in 2012, who I did love really a lot. And I think if I hadn't had kids myself, I could very easily have ended up as a mad cat lady. I mean, I, I, I probably still could, although hopefully I won't be a murderous <laughs> one. So that's, that's uh, Percy and Camille. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, I mean, on on a, a play of a different kind. I mean, Gareth, how where did New Reality Group come from? I uh, having having seen it, it's it. I is it is that based on your own experiences? Uh, <laughs> luckily, no, it's not based on my own experiences <laughs> because it's really quite surreal. Although. Um, there, there is actually a very definitive um, idea in my head as to what it's, you know, about in inverted commas. But I won't go into the the details of uh, of that, um, just because I want to leave that slightly a mystery. Um, but yeah, the the idea of it was it was a very stream of consciousness thing, because um, I knew we had to to write something for I think it was the Halloween Tales um, production. Um, and I, I literally just sat down and started just writing whatever and took about 20 minutes doing that of just writing out whatever and seeing where it went and then reading back over that and going, OK, what have I written here and what do I think is going on? And there were certain themes from that initial 20 minutes that remained in the sort of final product. But most of that was sort of brushed aside and thought, OK, that's what I've written there. What could that be? And sort of, you know, getting an idea in my head of more of what's going on. There were certain lines that were repeating. That was always a, a theme right from the start of it. But I was thinking, well, why do those lines repeat? What is it about those lines that mean that they keep recurring as themes? And sort of getting more and more of an idea in my head as to what's going on. And then going back and refining it and refining it until eventually you've got, yeah, the finished product, which hopefully... It's sort of hung together that, you know, the weird stuff that was going on, there was some logic behind it because it was sort of important to me to refine that logic each time. Because um, for those who don't know sort of what it's about, it's about this guy, Eric Fothergill, who um, is invested, on the face of it, is investigating a, you know, cult or, you know, a group or, you know, whatever that's, um, 
you sort of sprung up and it's clearly in the public consciousness called the new reality group it's a bit mysterious no one really knows what it does so he's gone to interview one of the key figures of that group and as the interview goes on you start to realize there's more going on here there's the repeating words he's not quite in control of the situation he occasionally sort of gets you know taken aback and puzzled by things like when lines repeat he knows it's not quite right and there's some bits where he even goes a bit fourth wall and he's sort of stepping out with he almost knows he's working to a semi-script um so yeah just sort of that initial stream of consciousness and then refine 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 until you end up with the final product well i mean that, that's there's two very very different approaches there um but more generally i mean where where does everyone you know get their ideas and how do you how do you really get started on things you know i, mean, I get mine from amazon <laughs> <laughs> so it's very hard i don't know why there's so much mystique about it you just order it next day delivery it's fantastic the returns policy is a bit brutal they have to remove it from your brain but um <laughs> yeah I, uh, I i've talked about this a lot um whenever i've tutored writing workshops and i think it's largely two things one is to absorb as many stories as you can because the the structure of them and the tone of them and the feeling they give you will get into you by osmosis and that will shape or certainly influence what you write and your instincts as a writer if you have a head full of stories and the other thing is observation um you really have to engage with the world and look at things in a creative way because ideas often come through observations fed through a, a creative filter like a juxtaposition or catastrophizing but all of that springs from just having an eye for people's quirks or unusual situations um or the potential for a situation to uh, usually go wrong um because that's where a lot of stories start something's wrong that needs putting right or something's changes that then needs resolving so i think it's yeah simply fill your head with as many stories i mean that's film tv theater opera obviously books music anything you want um as long as you've kind of got that flowing through your head i think you're more likely to come up with an idea and again if you sort of pay attention to the to the world or even the news uh that's more likely to just sort of spark something in your brain and that will then become a bit of writing yeah i mean i I think what we've what we've you know, leave came out of watching a, a video on YouTube while we were in 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 a hotel room in Scarborough. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of what we what we look at is you know we've got a, a work in progress um, that's that's based on the, the the missile alert that happened in Hawaii some time ago, and there are these you know these little instances, something that happens that you know obviously a missile alert isn't minor, but you know, we're living through right right this weekend. There were a couple of news articles about a petrol station closing, and suddenly the world's gone mad. And it's I I think for me it's how these small events can get blown out and have massive knock on effects through 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 the world because you know people in groups and individually are fantastically strange things. Hmm. Yeah, I think curiosity is a big part of writing. It's that ability to think deeply about something that may be very small, like uh, a rock on, on, on the pavement that was unexpected, and to kind of expand from there, to question it. You know, what is it like down there? You know, why is it there? Um, it kind of comes from, from everywhere, um, and I did, I just studied writing at university and one of the exercises that I really <clears throat> found helpful and um, fascinating was, it, it's almost like if you're an artist with your sketch pad, you go out to, to practice drawing and you take your sketch pad and you, you sit in front of a building and you, and you sketch it and that's how you, you practice and, and you get better at your craft. We did exactly the same thing as writers. We would take our notepads, we would go outside, we would sit in front of a building and we would write for five minutes or for another set amount of time and just see what happened, see what came out. Um, sometimes the challenge was, you know, to write in a certain style or in a certain genre. And sometimes it was just find something that is 10 centimetres in, you know, length and write about it. Like, doesn't matter what doesn't matter what comes out 
just the exercise of of practice in a variety of different ways is is really yeah really what kind of builds you <clears throat> up as a writer um the internet's got a lot of great resources for that there are blogs with weekly challenges that you can um you know have a go at and then see how other people have have done a similar thing um there's the twitch writers network on discord that gives out a lot of prompts and things like that so it's there's a lot of resources out there but at its heart i think it's variety and curiosity that really drives it all cool thinking a bit about the the process of writing and developing a story once you've got the idea how much planning does um do, do you all do before you actually begin a piece of writing or a script uh, do you have the whole thing mapped out um or do you sort of just dive in and like Laura was saying sort of see what happens um with with the dialogue and do you also um if you're writing for the stage do you put in a lot of um direction stage directions or do you leave that up to the people that take your writing and then and then perform it shall we start start with you Matt yeah well I mean I I think when we wrote leave there was there was definitely some things that we def we wanted to put in because it was visual and we had to make sure that things like the colored streamers and the forest were in place um but there was, I don't think there was very much planning in it at all. I'm very much more, I, I always consider myself an editor before I'm a writer. I'm very good at taking raw material and, you know, whipping it into shape and making something out of it. And in order to do that, you've just got to get it out. And we just wrote pages and pages and pages, mm -hmm. seeing where things would go, seeing what direction it would take and then ruthlessly you know slashed it to pieces and put it back again and back together until it until it worked yeah um i mean i very much start with with dialogue i i tend to i tend to have a good solid idea of what the world that my character's in looks and feels like mentally and then i use the characters and the dialogue to to build that um i I would say that if you're working with someone, having someone that has a complementary skill set is very beneficial. Um, because I start with dialogue, I can often get sort of bogged down in the details sometimes. And Matt is very good at, at having the, the the bigger picture and the, the, the full kind of story in mind. Um, but when it comes to stage directions, I think it's quite a big benefit to have having been an actor experienced both sides of stage directions of having all the stage directions where everything is planned out and it has to be very set to having absolutely none and having that experience it kind of puts me in a middle ground as a writer where I will give some stage directions for physical movements that are needed to kind of move the action along or very important emotional intent that I feel is kind of key to what I'm trying to convey but largely I, I want actors and directors to kind of have a guide not an instruction manual yeah sure uh, what about you Dario same questions um I'm a bit different I usually need to have a plan in place before I start scripting so I like to know where the plot's going to go the beginning middle end and quite often work out what happens in each scene um Sometimes I think that's because if you're writing things particularly like Inspector Murder, although it's a comedy, there are there is usually a, a, a crime to solve or a mystery to solve every episode. And when you're doing things like whodunits or puzzles, you do sort of need to work out where all the red herrings go and where all the clues go and where the twist is. So that's kind of useful. But I, I, I like plotting. I like coming up with plot lines. That's kind of really... Uh, fun bit so I do kind of work it all out but then I'm not beholden to it there's um otherwise it's just boring so if an idea crops up that changes the plot as you go along then just you know roll with it um in terms of stage directions I must admit I didn't probably up to funny voices I didn't used to do a lot with them I used to do bare minimum just literally you know entrances exits and then the sound and lighting cues um because I 
I never really I've having read plays by people like Bernard Shaw and and Tennessee Williams that have these long rambling settings I always used to I think problem with the director brain going I don't care I just I get on with it <laughs> um you know I think when we did Bernard Shaw we literally just threw that page away in Doctor's Dilemmas don't bother don't need it um but when I did Funny Voices I as I was going through I thought actually this seems to need to be a little bit more descriptive in the in the stage directions and a little bit more lyrical so that because it quite a lot of it is inside Joyce's head you kind of want to talk a little bit about what's going on with her energy so instead of just saying you know she steps on stage it's you know she steps on stage but there's something wrong she's tired something's going something's waning you kind of wanted to just sort of feed that in so that Erica obviously having to carry an awful lot of the play has got something a bit more to work on than just the dialogue because Joyce is performing. So she's therefore not being honest about how she feels. And it's, you know, it was easier to kind of get across some of the emotional uh, turmoil she was going through. So yeah, on a normal script, I don't tend to put a lot in, but with that one, you know, you suited to the project and that one, it was, uh, it felt right to give a bit more of a, a description. Plus I was directing it, so I didn't have to annoy the director by a, sort of giving them too much to think about <laughs> yeah it was interesting I mean it does kind of like you say depend on what what you're actually writing how much stage directions are required what's your experience um Gareth yeah so for me I think um with the planning it really depends on the um on the project if it's something that is very heavily plot based then yeah I'll need to know the plan of exactly how that's going to go and and what's going to happen where. And then similar to Dario, I might then sort of look at it and go, okay, well, I've got to scene three, and I know this was meant to happen in scene four, but it's actually going to be better if we take it in this direction, and then we can get back on track to the main thread by doing X, Y, Z, and sort of be a bit more fluid with it then. But if it's something that's got a, a plot to it, then I absolutely need to have that plot mapped out before I dive in there and start start writing um with smaller stuff like sketches it's it can be very different um generally you'll have a very clear plan for one element you'll either have a very clear idea that the punchline is this the setup to it is this i've got to put something in the middle and that something in the middle will not be planned it'll just come out of the writing process or you'll have a very good idea that this is going to be the clear points of dialogue this is how it's going to evolve and I've got no idea how it's going to end yet. Well, I'll write it and then come up with an ending once I get there. Um, but generally, before I start writing something, I'll know what level of planning it's going to need. And it really just varies on mainly based on how the idea came to me. Um, and in terms of stage directions, I'm very much minimalist in terms of stage directions. Um, a lot of the time for me, the dialogue is really the important thing and the sort of the staging, the movements will come out in the, you know, the rehearsal process will come from the director, will come from the actors. But if I am going to put a stage direction in, then it's probably something quite specific and I've probably put it in quite well formed. So when I do put them in, I'll normally try and be quite specific with it because I wouldn't have put it in if it was a woolly idea. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I... uh... I I don't do a tremendous amount of planning things in detail, I don't think. Um, but it's like um, you you guys have been saying, you sort of have an idea and then you, you start writing and you see what happens with it. And that's kind of quite exciting. And sometimes you're actually finding out the story as you're writing it as well, which makes it enjoyable. But I had the idea for uh, Percy and Camille in... Uh, in my head for about 10 years before I wrote the play. And I had actually been trying to write it as a novel and I'd written about 10,000 words in over a decade. Um, and I was clear on the main parts of it, but there were some problematic areas that I didn't really know how to solve. And I didn't have the impetus to like finish it until there was a deadline, which was in the form of a competition. Um, and that kind of made me made me do it and made me adapt what I'd done into a play. And I had to sort of change things to make it work for the stage. Um, and as regards stage directions, um, 
I there were a lot of things in the play that made it very difficult to stage and I didn't know how to solve them. So I I, I was grateful to have um, a really good director um, in the form of Beatrice uh, Benedict B, who who um, took a play that was quite difficult to stage, not least because it had a talking cat as a, one of the main characters. And, and she just sort of solved those issues and, and lifted it off the page and took it to the next level. And I wouldn't really have known how to go about that. So I think um, detailed stage directions, I, they, I think it depends, but it, it can hold a play back. If you, have a, if you have a director who has a strong vision and knows what they want to do with your work, then that's kind of all you need. And if you're trying to pin things down too much um, and you don't know where people are going to take the work once you've written it it doesn't really belong to you anymore other people are going to perform it and do their thing with it you sort of need to let them do that otherwise it's never going to have a life of its own I think but it does depend on the piece cool um and obviously any discussion about writing um generally comes around at some point to the dreaded writer's block um, is that something that everyone here sort of gets and how do you navigate around it and deal with it? And are there any other aspects of writing you find particularly difficult or particularly enjoyable? We've all got speaker's block. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll jump in and say it's, it's quite difficult to answer if, you've, if you're only an occasional writer, as I think many of us are, Um I wouldn't say I've ever had what I'd call writer's block, but what I have is an appalling problem in, in actually getting started unless I've got a deadline or some reason where I actually have to get it out the door. Um, it's, it's more a getting started problem than a not knowing what to do problem. Uh, and that's, that's, that's my experience of it. I don't know if anyone else <laughs> has... Um. I mean, I, yeah, I've, I've had writer's block. Um, it, I think a lot of it, I think, I think some of it sometimes is, is ego. Some of it sometimes is, is maybe reaching a point where you, you doubt what you've written or you doubt how you're going to solve, um, the ending or, or anything like that. Um, the only way that I have found to get through it is, to carry on <laughs> which is stupid as it sounds but it's if you can't solve the problem if you can't sit down and work out like pinpoint which part is the bit that's causing the issue then you just have to continue even if you you know you come in and you set yourself a five minute ten minute limit and you say right I'm gonna write for ten minutes and then I'll review it again tomorrow or I'll review it in an hour and you come back and it's terrible and you scrap the whole thing, you've at least done something. And sometimes it's just that feeling that you are chipping away at something that drives it forward. And eventually I find that you can write yourself out of whatever corner you're in. And sometimes it comes in unexpected ways. Um, sometimes, you know, it's a case of saving every, every sentence that you've written um, when you were having that block because, you know, you might scrap something and then three hours later realise it's actually the solution and you can't remember how you got there. Um, so, so yeah, having that documentation and just kind of trip, chipping away at things. Um, for me, it's, it's finishing is usually the hardest part, wrapping everything up so it's cohesive Killing your darlings is always hard. Taking things out that you really, you really love or you really enjoyed or that you thought was written really well, um, but ultimately don't serve the piece as a whole. That's that. Yeah, those those are those are the bits that I find the hardest. Um, yeah. I can relate to a lot of that. Killing killing your darlings definitely. Uh, that was something I found difficult. And also, I mean, I I agree with what you said, Matt. I don't write creatively enough to be able to say I have writer's block, but as a freelance writer in my kind of day job, I very often, you know, am faced with an article on lean management in nuclear power stations or something. And I just, I have, I've got a deadline and I've just got yep. to crack and, and I just start and I just write something just to get through that initial, 
just to to put some stuff stuff down on paper and then go back rework it improve it edit it whatever but at least you've made a start and then you can move this you can restructure it and everything so I think just diving in and getting started is is kind of 80 percent of getting through the pain barrier of it but I mean discipline also I mean it's not something I have but I think it's something that would be really helpful um to to writing you know to actually just kind of rather than being forced into it by a deadline to have the discipline to actually do what Lara was saying to you know do a little bit each day and just get on with it but I also I also think that genuinely finding time to do it is is really difficult like in in a busy family household with with work and other competing hobbies as well in my case it's really that is a genuine issue it's not just sort of like oh I wish I had the time so um you know it's finding the time having the discipline and just kind of getting started and, and powering through what feels like a block just to just to have something and then once you've kind of broken through that barrier you can just it, it the energy is flowing in some way and it becomes a lot easier I found writer's block takes a few different forms and uh kind of concurring really is getting started is often one of them i think writers are however creative they are as writers they are even more creative at coming up with reasons they can't write <laughs> um like when you get to that point where you do genuinely have time because you know if you're not doing it full-time you do have to fit it around a life but once you do find that bit where oh i could do some writing now you sort of go no no i know it's only like an hour i'll get nothing done i'll start tomorrow and so you just keep putting it off all writers are procrastinators um and the solution to that is you, you, you kind of just have to have a word with yourself and get on with it. I say, unless you have, nothing will inspire your creativity more than a director standing over you going, no, seriously, I need a script. Um, <laughs> that will get, get the creative juices flowing. Um, so that's a one form of it. And only you can fix that yourself if you're a writer having that problem. Um, you just have to get started and get over your fear that it's going to be rubbish. And it's fine if it's rubbish. That's another lesson you have to learn. It's okay to write rubbish stuff because you will fix it later on. Um, I mean, I get it from time to time. I've had it in the last sort of couple of weeks because we're working on the second series of Inspector Murder and there's a Christmas script that needs writing. And I have been working on it for about a week and I couldn't figure out a plot or a format that I liked and just kind of sat there writing pages and pages and pages of notes and at the end of it kind of going I don't like it it's just rubbish it's not good it's no good um and actually it comes back to what Lara said you just have to persevere and eventually if you kind of learn how to analyze why you think it's rubbish and you can kind of honestly answer your own question going why didn't I like this because it's not you know it might be it's not imaginative enough or it just isn't it feels a bit like a bit of a retread of stuff we've done before or it just feels a bit obvious. If you can answer those questions, you can then say, well, what wouldn't be obvious and then work from there? Or, or well, what haven't we done? Or what format could I take? And eventually you crack it and I eventually have now. So we have got a Christmas script on the way. Yay. Um, yay. Well, I haven't, I haven't written it yet. Could still be rubbish. Um, so, I mean, if you find yourself, the other form is just being in the middle of a scene and then finding yourself stuck and I don't know how to get out of this. And again, uh, Lara, kind of good advice, just just keep going and keep chipping away at it sometimes if you have the luxury of time putting the problem aside and working on something else for a bit is quite good because it sort of moves your head on creatively and then you can look back at the the thing you're having problems with and then see it a little differently um not that this is practical but you can sort of take a script you wrote years ago look at it and go oh now i can see all manner of things i'd fix Partly that's the benefit of more experience, but also the the further away you are from something in a way, the more objectively you can look at it and you can sort of see its imperf uh, its uh, imperfections a little more easily. Um, so sometimes it is quite good just to move on with something else and then come back to it. Or uh, if it's a scene or a sketch or something, uh, just start from scratch. Just save what you've done and then either turn to another page in your notebook or open another document on your computer and then just write it again from memory, but don't refer back to the original version that you're working on. Just start again and see how much you remember. And actually, sometimes you'll find yourself going in a slightly different direction and then you'll crack the problem that you were having, uh, which is usually just an impending sense of I just don't think this works. But you just have to push, <laughs> push through, uh, as has been said. Hmm. I mean, I think for me, the... Um... The biggest blocks I can get is either in, a, as you say, a scene or a sketch where you get halfway through it and you look at it and you think, I don't know how to finish this. 
Um, and often it can be that fear of not writing something good, of not writing it and it's sort of, it's perfect and it all works. And you sort of sit there and thinking, you start writing a line and you're like, oh no, that's that's not quite right. It doesn't quite flow right. Um, but for me, one of the most helpful things is to just say, well, write the bad version. Because it's one of the things I think with improv is any problem that you've got, you can always deus ex machina it if you just take a sledgehammer to it and go, and then a genie popped up and he said, what's your wish? And he said, my wish is that all the problems of this story were resolved. And the genie said, yes, and they were resolved. <laughs> yeah, you can always do that. So there is always a bad solution to any problem you've got. And sometimes it's really helpful to just say, write the bad solution. Okay, well, what was wrong? What is wrong with that bad solution? And then you might go, oh, well, that jump there is too obvious but until you've written that bad solution you don't know exactly where all the problem points are and once yeah. you've written the bad version you go oh well the problem is the punchline isn't properly set up and then you've got a very specific area to look at and fix whereas when you're halfway through and you're like well the problem is that i can't finish it that seems very big and intimidating but when it's the problem is that i finished it but this tiny little bit doesn't work that's then a lot easier to fix yeah. yeah it's the thing with first drafts isn't it that i think sometimes as an inexperienced writer you think that the first draft has to be a complete piece that's ready to hand in and it really doesn't um the first draft is just meant to be the massive pile of stuff that you're going to put into your play that you then refine later on and you, the important thing is again as you said just get it all down and it have it exist in a complete form and then you work on it and make it better so you, you do have to squash that thing of uh, but what I'm writing isn't what I want to write or isn't quite what I was intending. It doesn't matter. You just need to get it all out and then see what you've got and, and fix it. Um, I think that's kind of important. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's um, it's digging yourself out of the hole a little bit at a time. And yeah, I love I love Gareth's idea of um, of writing the bad ending. I, I think that's um, that's a lovely way of putting it, definitely. It's quite good because you just go, well, that's what we've got. I don't want it to be that. I'm going to have to think of something better. Mm. Yeah. The problem is, is when you write the bad ending and you think you've done a good ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, then you wouldn't have writer's block because you think you've written a good ending. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's problem the solved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so looking beyond the writing process, um. What is it like seeing or hearing your work read aloud for the first time by a cast? Does that feeling change over time? Um, and how involved are you guys as writers in the rehearsal process, um, especially when it's not you directing the piece? Um, and do you change your scripts as you progress through the production? I can jump in with that if you like. Joe first. Yeah, go on. <laughs> um, I, I mean... I don't like I say I haven't had a, a massive amount of experience of writing uh, plays and then having other people stage them, um, but I found it was it was an exciting process. It, um, it it was exciting to have other people do do the stuff that I'd written and actually be you know investing time and energy in doing it. Um, but it was also it, it you know it can be tricky as well because you have to sort of let go of how it sounded in your head when you were writing it and just trust the people in the room to bring their own talents and their own inspirations to it. And, you know, there can be a conflict in that sometimes. Um, with, with Percy and Camille, we did change the script fairly significantly during the production process uh, because uh, for things like the nationality of the person that played the refugee, um, you know, the actress that we were able to get was um, not the same nationality as the way I'd written it. So I had to sort of rewrite that. And there were also um, some things like you said, um, you're killing your darlings. There were some bits that I just loved but didn't really serve the play. So they had to go. And then um, the way I'd written it also, it was kind of seen through too much through Ingrid's eyes, who, who saw Camille, the refugee, as kind of vicious and evil. Um, rather than somebody who was damaged and vulnerable. And I kind of relied too much on the audience seeing through Ingrid's delusion and through the, the some of the, the common myths that, that there are about refugees. Um, and it didn't really quite work. So I had to kind of rebalance that and fix it because I really didn't want to write anything that might indirectly harm refugees and portray 
you know, portray them in a sort of a, or portray Camille, the character, in in a, a very negative light. So there was quite a bit of uh, rewriting that happened during that process. And I did find it helpful to have other people in the room who were, you know, helping me with that. And some of it I did by myself and some of it we did together. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was a good, it was a good experience to, to have people there, but, but yeah, it's also an experience of sort of letting go and just kind of realizing that you've kind of given birth to this thing and now the thing has to go off and make its life, you know, um, (laughs) and you have to kind of take a step back a bit. Um, Gareth, do you have anything to add? Um, yeah, I think for me, I've, I've never really written something that I haven't been very close to the then production of um and yeah when when I do sort of see that it's kind of it's really great seeing it performed in front of an audience the first time that for me is the the big point where you suddenly realize what a completely neutral you know audience who's just there to see it is going to think of it and then you find out all of the bits that sort of surprise you and jump out and you think oh I didn't realize that was yeah going to look like that and that was going to be like that um, and then, yeah, hearing it for the first time sort of read out. I mean, so often the the people who are reading it just get it so much that it does come out yeah, very often how I expected it to come out in my head or better than I expected it to come out in my head. So it's, it's always a really great thing to see that come alive in that way. Um, mm. it's, it's very, very rare that you kind of think, oh, that wasn't quite what I, um, what I wanted there. Um, and I think it would be really interesting to write something and just let it let it go and say that's now going to be performed. It's been written. I'll I'll come back when it's time for the show. <laughs> I think that would be fascinating, but I don't think I'd ever be able to actually do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, when we did leave, I was kind of in that in that situation because we'd we'd spent ages writing it. Uh, you know, sending sending a sending a, a word document backwards and forwards i was living in northampton at the time an hour away mm. and so once we'd written it i kind of left it up to lara to to do the direction and honestly i think the the only time i saw it was was when i was actually up there doing the tech for it on the you know one night only yeah like week before it was due on stage I think. yeah, yeah. That was absolutely fascinating to see because we it was it was an intensely visual play mm. and i'd spent a lot of time working on the technical side of things but it was it was very very strange to see actual people saying and putting the mood in and giving life to these quite strange situations in this this other world that we we'd built yeah um i think as well like we we'd We'd read through the script quite a few times with each other um, to try and get a feel for for how it sounded out loud. And it was hearing other people put their stamp on it, hearing their emotions coming through that really, I mean, the first time uh, we reached the the camping scene, I genuinely got goosebumps. Uh, That was the moment where it it had taken on a a whole new life of its own through other people. that was kind of the first little little touch of kind of magic that I'd seen. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, from from what we as as it was written, it did very much stay. It it came out of a heads onto the stage in its form, mm. and it had to be done exactly as it was written. And I don't think we made. I don't think we really edited it at all. I think there was there was one change which actually the cast pointed out and I think it was an age or something like that that didn't quite make sense um, that, that, that I did change. But otherwise, yeah, I think we had edited and refined it to the point that we were we wanted to, to see where it went and see how they, the actors took it rather than change it on yeah. the fly. There will be no deviations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, how about you, Dario? Um, same question towards you. Um, I think I did find it daunting the first time, which was uh, Beauty and the Beast, the panto at Queen's Park. It was the first time I'd had something produced. And I was a bit nervous because you're handing over something that is, in a sense, very personal. It is just sort of your idea of what a good story is. And you're always slightly frightened that the entire cast are going to turn around and go, this is rubbish. 
um didn't happen fortunately um but i mean i've written quite a few things mainly the pantomimes where they do get handed over to another director and i'm not normally there in the rehearsal room much because i'm also the producer and i've got other you know crises to manage elsewhere <laughs> um you know with all the backstage stuff so but i i quite enjoy it it's quite fun getting to see what it looks like when you come back um and you know fortunately we've always worked with the directors who are very uh, conscientious about not just changing it for the sake of it they do always come and say do you mind if we alter this so I, it's really interesting doing it but i i think i've had enough practice out now that i'm quite i'm okay with it so i don't get i don't really get nervous about handing over scripts maybe if i was working for another company i would it's a whole people you don't know because you know at the end of the day we are a rep group um so yeah it has changed it's always fun and read-throughs like i said are, are the best one of the best bits just getting to hear the reaction for the first time particularly if you're doing comedy i've often said that my some of my favorite memories are unbound a sketchbook read-throughs or inspector murder read-throughs uh, getting to hear the, the laughs and everyone's reaction is really really important um and i think does it change yeah from time to time um I think particularly if it's a, a big piece of new writing, you inevitably sort of find where the pace doesn't quite work in some scenes or you might look at something and go, that's not funny enough or that character arc doesn't come across strongly enough. So, um, yeah, I can't, I can't think of any specific examples, but it is a kind of constant process. I don't think everything's been too fixed. It do tend to kind of uh, change it as it goes along. Yeah, I think the only thing I, I have to add there is that it's 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 quite it's quite fascinating in in the writing process where you can go okay this bit is going to be tense this bit is going to be sad i'm going yeah. to write all the sad words <laughs> and then it's when you actually have people who read it out and it does what it's supposed to be but yeah. possibly isn't quite you know because intellectually you can go okay well this is this is this is dramatic and then it goes on stage and people do it and it's actually scary Mm. well my two cents yeah well it is i think that's the other thing is putting in front of an audience for the first time is is as scary as giving it to actors for the mm. first time yeah um and that's to, i mean more so with comedy than drama um because you know a, a bad drama probably gets quite muted applause um a bad comedy gets a rather deafening silence so that's <laughs> that's always slightly scary when you're putting it out in front of an audience for the first time especially if you're trying to make them laugh mm. yeah i think i think comedy is something that is so subjective i found that writing comedy is it's it's almost one of those things especially when you do it for the first time that you you need to get another pair of eyes on because you know i can think it's the funniest thing in the world but it's not until someone who has a very different sense of humor to me laughs at it um that i know that it's it's actually objectively funny and not subjectively funny so yeah like like the the read-through process is is great for that just honing your jokes yeah and w one of the things with comedy is you see it a lot more in stand-up than in sketches but the thing is comedy can have you can do exactly the same performance of exactly the same material to two different rooms and for whatever reason one it might go really well one it might go really badly um, so it can be really daunting when you've got something where you've got that instant feedback process of, well, if they don't laugh, it's not funny. And I think <laughs> you can't take any one reaction by any one audience as sort of gospel. Um, yeah. And I, I now sort of having done so much comedy and sort of had, you know, some of them go well and some of them not so well, but a lot of them have gone really well. You kind of think... I'm not going to invest all of my worth of whether this is any good in any one particular audience's reaction to one particular joke. That's yeah. that old thing, isn't it? Sort of if a joke bombs once, well, you know, who knows? Could be the audience, could be the joke. If it bombs a second time, uh, you know, tricky waters. If it bombs a third time, yeah, it's the joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, we'll wrap this up uh, uh, by talking about advice. So, what advice would you give to anyone interested in writing a script? And what's the most helpful advice or tip or feedback you've ever received or learnt? Lara, do you want to go first? Um, just do it. Um, I think that we've we've covered that a couple of times yeah. now. But yeah, write it. Um, then go back over it. Then read it aloud. Reading aloud is, is the thing that... Um, really changed the experience of writing scripts for me because 
Um, it's not that it hadn't occurred to me to, to read it aloud, being an, an actor, but um, it was it's getting out of your own head a little bit. When you read it aloud, you get the, the pace and the rhythm of the words and you see if you start stumbling over certain things. You know, if something's hard for you to say and you've written it, then it's not going to be good for an actor to say. Um, if it's hard for a reason, that's okay. But it's it's finding out that you've got like too too many ands in a sentence, and when you read it, it's, it seems fine. But when you you speak it aloud, it doesn't sound like natural speech. Um, so yeah, read read it aloud. Um, then have a friend read it. Then have someone else read it, and you know yeah with 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 comedies if it makes them laugh have have a group of actors read it see how they react to it see how it sounds in their voice um yeah just just do it um the first one you write will be crap probably um the second one you write will be better um it's it's a constant process of improvement um but you won't get there unless you start cool uh gareth what about you yeah, I think it would be, don't be afraid to write something, look back on it and make improvements um, because there's no one's going to write the perfect script. And so writing a script gives you that base point to look back and, yeah, and make things better because, you know, the only person who's infallible is either idiots or the Pope. And <laughs> I think you'd have noticed if you were the Pope. So you know, you're not going to write the perfect script the very first time. And you'll find that when you look back at things and kind of look at what doesn't work, it also really highlights what does work because it can seem intimidating to sort of go, oh, I'm going to look at my work and change it. But actually, when you do that, you're also reading through the stuff and think, no, that really works and that really works. And it, for me, it's a real confidence boost finding the thing that doesn't work and then sort of contrasting it to, oh, actually everything but that bit does work and if i just solve that it will be really good and joe i kind of agree with with uh, everything that um lara and gareth have said i mean it's it basically just you know just freaking get it written get something down <laughs> it doesn't have to be perfect as long as there's something strong at the core of it that you believe in you can fix things later and other people can help so yeah just do it and then get other people to look at it because their responses to it are really interesting and you'll you'll get a useful um, sort of fresh perspective on it. Um, th there comes a point where you do have to step away and um, either come back to it yourself with a bit of fresh eyes the next day or a couple of days later, um, or even better, you know, get somebody else to look at it and, and see how they respond and then just fix the things that, that don't quite work and it's all fixable. Excellent. And Matt? Yeah, I... I think, I mean, I, I follow a, a lot of, you know, semi-humorous groups on Facebook all about writing. And, you know, one of the things that's always struck me is, so you're a writer, what have you written? That's not how this works. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you, you don't say, okay, well, uh, you know, oh, you're, a, you're an astronaut, so how often have you been to space? Well, never. You know, you, you actually have to produce produce the work and writing is a peculiarly um as you said it's it's writer, writers are great at procrastinating and doing anything except actually writing you know and it is something you have to practice it's it's like any other skill you know juggling slacklining cooking you know writing is a thing that you nobody is inherently good at it it's a thing that you pick up and you look at it intelligently and you do it and you know you, you you kind of have to earn the right to call yourself a writer rather than just somebody who thinks it would be a nice thing to do <laughs> yeah there's a quote from i think it's russell t davies a brilliant scriptwriter, who was asked about advice and he said you don't get to call yourself a writer until you've written something so finish it and that was his <laughs> that was his advice which we kind of already covered my other one would be take all rules in inverted commas of writing with a pinch of salt um there are obviously tens if not hundreds of thousands of books written about writing um and they're quite handy if you're getting started because they can give you a framework to work to they can give you a bit of a starting point if you are that daunted by not knowing at all where to begin 
But for every single rule that someone claims is a, a, a steadfast rule about writing, you will find a, a piece of writing, an amazing piece of writing that breaks it. So above all else, trust your own instincts, but understand that you will constantly be learning. 